Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Rob Porter here on 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. Good afternoon, Atil. Good afternoon. How are things today? Much better. I, yesterday was a weird, like, one of those rare Mondays where everything was dragging and I just couldn't get going. I'm raring to go today. Rare, rare Mondays <laughs> where things are like that? Well, you know, but eventually you sort of get used to how Mondays feel and you eventually can start moving. Yesterday, I just Mondays. Yesterday, I just could not get going. I'm excited. I got my new copy of McSweeney's Quarterly Concern in. I have no idea what that means. It's awesome. Google it. <laughs> okay. Um, it, it's actually, it's it's like a literary magazine, but it's the most unique. I, I wouldn't even call it a magazine. Like, sometimes it's a book. One time it was like a pile of, it, it looked like a pile of mail. Like, it was envelopes and everything, but there were stories, like, in, in, in the, like, like, the letters. Like, it all adds up to, like, a story. Oh, well, that's know. really, it's, that's really cool. I, when it's, you... it's Really cool. When you mentioned it, I thought it was some sort of like I don't know quarterly political publishing or something like that. No, it's uh, <laughs> it's like a it's like a literary thing. It's it's the it's the dorkiest nerdiest thing you've ever seen in your entire life. But well, I'm back on board now. It's fantastic. You'll like it. Um, all right, uh, we're well. We got a good show coming up. Uh, Gene Hansen. I, I don't know if people saw this. Uh, he uh, he likes to put big messages out in his field. He did that uh, print symbol a while back. Uh, he did the Bernie Sanders slogan, even though he's like, I guess he's like a Republican. He did like the Bernie Sl- uh, Sanders slogan, feel the burn. Um, and now he just, his latest one was, uh, we stand for the national anthem. So we'll talk with, with him about that coming up here at 1230. Uh, also coming up at one o'clock, the medicinal marijuana situation uh, continues to be a little bit of a headache. Uh, I've been continuing to demonstrating my point that this was not the right way to go about legalizing medical marijuana. I wish we had done something a lot simpler and a lot broader, but whatever. We're living with it now. Uh, County, state and county employees. I thought this was really interesting. This was in an article. Uh, State and county employees, employees may not be able to use medical marijuana without putting their jobs at risk. And the reason for that is the federal government has a policy called the Controlled Substances Act. And it governs not just use of controlled substances, because remember, in the eyes of the federal government, marijuana is still illegal. What states like North Dakota and California and Washington and Colorado and others are doing is essentially nullifying federal law, right? The federal government says this drug's illegal, and a lot of the states are saying to one degree or another, saying, well, no, it's not. Um, so as far as the federal government's concerned, it's illegal, and the thing is, is that that extends to people who get federal or organizations that get federal funding, like the state government. Our state government has a lot of federal funding built into the budget. I mean, you talk about, you know, the Department of Health, Department of Human Services, the Department of Transportation. Um, you know, these these organizations within our state government get federal funding. And because of that, you know, there's a question about whether or not you know, the state government can can allow their employees to, to use marijuana, even if it's legal under state law. And then that extends down to the counties. Like if your county government gets federal funding, and here's a newsflash, they probably do, your employees may not be able to, the employees of that county government may not be able to use medical marijuana. Okay, so, but there's got to be some sort of minutia or loophole in there because controlled substances 
include things like prescription painkillers, codeine, which is in a lot of cough syrups, and Adderall, which is used to treat lots of things like ADHD. And I don't think any state employees are getting gunned down, getting their jobs gunned down for those. Well, yeah, see, but but those are, there's different levels, like there's different tiers. Like marijuana, it's, it, 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 some drugs the federal government obviously sees a use for, right? So like opiate pain medicines and, and things like that, right? I mean, obviously they're controlled substances, but the federal government sees that there's, you know, a, a medical use for them. What the federal government has not done is recognize a legitimate, even medical use for marijuana. Federal government hasn't done it as far as... The federal government's concern, marijuana is 100% illegal. There's no, again, in the eyes of the federal government, there is no legitimate use for marijuana. I'm not, I'm not defending it. I'm just saying that's the status of the law at the federal level. Gah. So anyway, we're going to have on Aaron Burst. He is, uh, he's been on this show before. He uh, works with the North Dakota Association of Counties. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about this because this is a very real headache for implementing this policy. And... I, I think two things need to happen. First of all, I think the federal government needs to butt out of this area of the law. I think the federal government needs to stop the quote-unquote war on drugs and let the states decide what they're going to do with controlled substances. I think that would be best for all of us. And then in North Dakota, I think we ought to just full-on legalize, mar- full full legalize marijuana. Just legalize it for everything. Because the, this thing we're doing now, this is gonna, there's going to be so much red tape for this. And marijuana is so easily available on the black market. Why would people put them sub- subject themselves to this, right? And I'm not even talking about. I mean, this this situation with you know the counties and the employees. That's obviously you know there's a drug testing aspect of that, and um, I guess that's a. I guess I don't know. I don't know. I, I say there's drug testing. I don't know if there's drug. I mean, I don't know if state employees undergo like regular screening or if it's like if something is suspected or. I don't know. Maybe Aaron will have some of the answers for that. But I think we need to just stop fighting marijuana use. You know, I, and I honestly, I, I think the practical outcome of a lot of this is people aren't going to bother going through the rigmarole of accessing medical marijuana through legal channels. I think I think most are just going to continue to buy it illegally, in which case, what have we accomplished? Very little, I think. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com, all that going on. Um, also, up in Pembina County, this was really interesting. Um, two men who shut down uh, the Keystone Pipeline, or it's it's one of the, it's part of the Keystone Network in Pembina County. Remember this? Um, back during the Dakota Access Pipeline Yeah, they were uh, calling protest. themselves the Valve Turners. The Valve Turners, right. Um, so they got, uh, they got convicted. Uh, one of them was convicted of two felonies and faces, like 21 years in prison. Uh, the other one was convicted of one, uh, plus some misdemeanors, and, and faces like 11 years in prison. Um, not a good, you know, obviously, obviously, I, I think those charges are justified. What they did was extremely illegal and extremely dangerous. I mean, ex- reckless. Not, not just in that they could have caused a leak of oil, but they could have made those pipelines explode. Right, and and we're talking about. I mean, the, the pipelines that they attacked control something like fifteen percent of of the oil flow of, of oil consumption in the United States. Well, you knock fifteen percent of the oil supply off. I'm sorry, but our economy, a lot of our lives, run on oil. I mean, that that could have caused a lot of. I mean, not not just a lot of inconvenience and a lot of problems for people, but it could have literally killed people. I mean, it it was an extremely reckless thing to do. But here's the thing. They are arguing 
they used what was called in their trial, which it obviously didn't work, but they used what was called the necessity defense. And again, this is this is the one that was up in Pembina County right here in North Dakota. They used what was called the necessity defense. And what they're saying is that it was necessary for them to commit this crime, these crimes that they committed, that they've now been convicted of committing. Um, it was necessary for them to commit them to prevent greater harm from happening, right? Which I guess is maybe something you could use like, well, I had to break into the person's house because we were in a blizzard and we needed blankets to stay alive or something like that, right? That's the necessity defense. Or the case so recently where somebody broke into a, a store to get a fire extinguisher to save right. a child that was in the burning vehicle. There you go. Right. Okay. So I think most of us are like, okay, well, that's not really like criminal intent. Uh, somebody's trying to do the right thing, right? You know, uh, so, but here's the thing, like they're using that. So, so obviously completely bogus, right? Everybody uses oil. Even these people use oil. I'm pretty sure they didn't ride ponies or bicycles out to rural Pembina County to shut off this valve. Everybody's using oil. So they're saying, well, it's necessary for us to recklessly turn off these pipelines and potentially cause huge life-threatening problems because of the threat of global warming or whatever. Now, that's absurd on its face, but the problem is there is a faction of the environmentalist movement that has convinced themselves that this is real. And I think that the temptation for, for maybe some on, on the left is, is to dismiss that and to say, well, these are fringe actors. These are people on the fringe of the movement. And I would argue, no, they're not. I think they've become increasingly mainstream. I think we saw it with the Dakota Access Pipeline down in south central North Dakota. Where again, and by the way, when they shut off these pipelines, the, the, the quote unquote valve turners, they were acting in solidarity with the Dakota Access Pipeline protesters. Protesters who, by the way, in their own activities, felt justified in instigating violent confrontations with law enforcement, trespassing on private property, destroying property, terrorizing South Central North Dakota for months on end. They felt all of that was justified, was rationalized in their minds because of the the, the, the supposed th impending threat of climate change or, or whatever else. That's a scary thing. That's a scary Rubicon to cross in a political movement. And I think it's become mainstream in the environmentalist movement, I think the environmentalist movement in a lot of ways is becoming radicalized and it ought to scare all of us. More to come straight ahead. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Marijuana is... Some drugs the federal government obviously sees a use for, right? So, like, opiate pain medicines and things like that, right? I mean, obviously, they're controlled substances, but the federal government sees that there's, you know, a, a medical use for them. What the federal government has not done is recognize a legitimate, even medical use for marijuana. federal government hasn't done it. As far as the federal government's concerned, marijuana is 100% illegal. There's no... Again, in the eyes of the federal government, there is no legitimate use for marijuana. I'm not, I'm not defending it. I'm just saying that's the status of the law at the federal level. Gah. So anyway, we're going to have on Aaron Burst. He is, uh, he's been on this show before. He uh, works with the North Dakota Association of Counties. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about this because this is a very real headache for implementing this policy. And I, I think two things need to happen. First of all, I think the federal government needs to butt out of this area of the law. I think the federal government needs to stop the quote-unquote war on drugs and let the states decide what they're going to do with controlled substances. I think that would be best for all of us. 
And then in North Dakota, I think we ought to just full on legalize mar- full on excuse me, full on legalize marijuana. Just legalize it for everything. Because the, this thing we're doing now, this is gonna there's gonna be so much red tape for this. And marijuana is so easily available on the black market. Why would people put them sub- subject themselves to this? Right? And I'm not even talking about I mean this this situation with you know the counties and the employees. That's obviously you know there's a drug testing aspect of that, and um, I guess that's a. I guess I don't know. I don't know. I, I say there's drug testing. I don't know if there's drug. I mean I don't know if state employees undergo like regular screening or if it's like if something is suspected or I don't know. Maybe Aaron will have some of the answers for that. But I think we need to just stop fighting marijuana use. You know, and I honestly, I I think the practical outcome of a lot of this is people aren't going to bother going through the rigmarole of accessing medical marijuana through legal channels. I think I think most are just going to continue to buy it illegally, in which case, what have we accomplished? Very little, I think. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com, all that going on. Um, also, up in Pembina County, this was really interesting, um, two men who shut down uh the keystone pipeline or it's it's one of the it's part of the keystone network in pembina county remember this um back during the dakota access pipeline yeah they were uh, calling themselves the valve turners the valve turners right um so they got uh they got convicted uh one of them was convicted of two felonies and faces like 21 years in prison uh the other one was convicted of one uh plus some misdemeanors and, and faces like 11 years in prison um not a good you know obviously Obviously, I, I think those charges are justified. What they did was extremely illegal and extremely dangerous. I mean, ex- reckless. Not, not just in that they could have caused a leak of oil, but they could have made those pipelines explode, right? And and we're talking about, I mean, the, the pipelines that they attacked control something like 15% of, of the oil flow, uh, of oil consumption in the United States. Well, you knock 15% of the oil supply off, I'm sorry, but our economy, a lot of our lives run on oil. I mean, that, that could have caused a lot of, I mean, not, not just a lot of inconvenience and a lot of problems for people, but it could have literally killed people. I mean, it, it was an extremely reckless thing to do. But here's the thing. They are arguing, they used what was called in their trial, which it obviously didn't work, but they used what was called the necessity defense. And again, this is, this is the one that was up in Pembina County right here in North Dakota. They used what was called the necessity defense. And what they're saying is that it was necessary for them to commit this crime, these crimes that they committed, that they've now been convicted of committing. Um, it was necessary for them to commit them to prevent greater harm from happening, right? Which I guess is maybe something you could use like, well, I had to break into the person's house because we were in a blizzard and we needed blankets to stay alive or something like that, right? That's the necessity defense. Or the case recently where somebody broke into a a store to get a fire extinguisher to save a child that was in the burning vehicle. There you go. Right. Okay. So I think most of us are like, okay, well, that's not really like criminal intent. Uh, Somebody's trying to do the right thing, right? You know, uh, so, but here's the thing, like they're using that. So, so. Obviously, completely bogus, right? Everybody uses oil. Even these people use oil. I'm pretty sure they didn't ride ponies or bicycles out to rural Pembina County to shut off this valve. Everybody's using oil. So they're saying, well, it's necessary for us to recklessly turn off these pipelines and potentially cause huge life-threatening problems because of the threat of global warming or whatever. Now, that's absurd on its face, but the problem is 
There is a faction of the environmentalist movement that has convinced themselves that this is real. And I think that the temptation for, for maybe some on, on the left is, is to dismiss that and to say, well, these are fringe actors. These are people on the fringe of the movement. And I would argue, no, they're not. I think they've become increasingly mainstream. I think we saw it with the Dakota Access Pipeline down in south-central North Dakota. Where again, and By the way, when they shut off these pipelines, the, the, the quote-unquote valve turners, they were acting in solidarity with the Dakota Access Pipeline protesters. Protesters who, by the way, in their own activities felt justified in instigating violent confrontations with law enforcement, trespassing on private property, destroying property, terrorizing south-central North Dakota for months on end. They felt all of that was justified, was rationalized in their minds because of the the, the, the supposed th- impending threat of climate change or, or whatever else. That's a scary thing. That's a scary Rubicon to cross in a political movement. And I think it's become mainstream in the environmentalist movement, I think the environmentalist movement in a lot of ways is becoming radicalized, and it ought to scare all of us. More to come straight ahead. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. on this medical I don't, marijuana thing. I don't, I don't think the supporters of that ballot measure can accuse anybody of dragging their feet when they, when they, how stupidly that thing was written. I'm not saying that they're dragging their feet on implementing this specific policy. They're, they've been dragging their feet on the medical marijuana issue for a very long time. I think the lawmakers didn't actually believe the public wanted it. I think but a lot of people the were surprised. They were brought, they, it was brought to them multiple times. Yeah. And people, yeah, and they and they voted. The well, they, well, they voted this. it down. I mean, the guy, the guy who was bringing was a was a Democratic lawmaker from Fargo, the far, farthest left of the farthest left in the state house. He was the one who had been bringing it, and nobody took it very seriously, and nobody really want, thought their constituents wanted this. It was a surprise to a lot of people. But I don't know that a lot of legislative elections were ever going to turn on this issue. You know, there just wasn't, and so I guess I guess the initiated measure process, you know, surprised everybody. I don't know. And, maybe uh, our elected officials need to pay more attention to their constituents. Maybe I just don't know how how high up. I mean, I think most constituents probably have things that are a lot higher up on the priority list than this. I think that's just a reality. Well, I, mean, I maybe don't. They, I do. Well, I do. You, I think property taxes. From, I think you don't suffer from chronic pain every most day. Most people your don't. Life. Well, most people don't, and I'm not saying that's right or wrong. Just most people don't. And so medical marijuana is probably not high. And by the way, I'm the guy who's been saying for years now, we should just legalize recre- just legalize marijuana full stop. That's what I think we ought to do. Nobody listens to me. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. My next guest, Gene Hansen, he put, We stand for the national anthem in letters as big as two football fields in his farm. We'll talk with him about that. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Rob Report, 970 WDAY AM, 93.1 FM. My guest is Gene Hansen of Edgeley. He's a farmer. And uh, Gene, you got a little bit of a hobby, don't you, buddy? Thanks, uh, thanks for your time. Welcome to the program. Hi there. You like to put messages out in your field. What, what, made, you, uh, what made you decide to start doing this? 
Oh, I don't know. I started years ago. Uh, one just led to another. Uh, I think the biggest one that I ever did, though, was the print symbol out there that went viral. But the, the other ones were uh, uh, kind of political. Uh, some were patriotic, uh, you know, like uh, bank the vets and things like that. Uh, GOP, get your act together, drain the swamp, and that sort of thing. What... Um... Your latest one was We Stand for the National Anthem, obviously a reaction to what's going on in the NFL. Tell us about it. Well, that one there, it, it's a, you know, to me it's a more patriotic. Uh, you know, it's not about black, white, brown, or Democrat or Republican. It's it just uh, you know, a lot of people are serving. A lot of people have died for our country, and, and uh, it's no more than right to just, uh, you know, stand uh, for the anthem or the uh, pledge to the flag. It's... Uh, just show it a little respect, uh, if you do. What makes you uh, and and you're? I, I understand you're you're actually uh, you got some, you're getting some national media attention for this latest message. You're booked to go on Fox and Friends about this. Uh, I'm going to be up at three o'clock in the morning tomorrow morning. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's pretty early to be up uh, to be up. But what what do you think of about what's uh, you know obviously what's going on in the NFL? I mean, what what the players are saying is they have a right to protest. They're trying to raise awareness for something that they feel is, a, is an important issue, uh, you know, police brutality and, and, and the treatment of, of minority groups by by law enforcement. I mean, what's, what's your response to that? I mean, do you do you think well, it's – are those appropriate me, things? To uh, be... Me protesting is fine, uh, but you don't want to do it uh, under our flag. Uh, it just uh, – I mean, it's not right. Uh, there's all kinds of places to protest, but uh, during the national anthem especially – uh, that's the place to do it if you want to protest. There's lots what? of other places that can do it. Uh, uh, yeah, I kind of go along with with what uh, the Dallas Cowboys are going to do. We uh, can't stand during the anthem while you're going to sit on the bench, and I think that's what all of them should do. Yeah, I I, I agree. Although there's some that are saying uh, I was just seeing there was a, I guess a rapper, and I I didn't see which one because I just saw the headline. It was saying that Jerry Jones has a a slave owner mentality for, for making that statement. What do you think of that, Gene? Well, it's not a very good statement. I would have to agree with that. Yeah. What, uh, just, just as a practical matter, how long does it take you to do one of these? Uh, this particular one, uh, well, it was actually the second one. The first one I did, I got interrupted just before I got done with it and by someone. And uh, uh, when I, I finished it, and I went up with my drone, took a picture of it, and I forgot the H in the anthem, so I went to <laughs> had to go to another side of the field. You had a typo, one, but it took me about two hours apiece. <laughs> yeah, you had a you had a typo in it. Now, <laughs> what what uh, I mean, what what is it? I mean, are you just are you just is this just you plowing up like a section of the field to make the letters, or or what what, yeah, what exactly just, is going uh, on I to make this? I have my old Massey tractor that I go out with the three point disc, and I. Uh, Generally, write it down on a piece of paper and tape it to the hood of the old tractor. Uh, it's an open cab tractor, no GPS or anything like that. So uh, I kind of use the bean rolls. The bean uh, field works the best because you don't have a lot, of, a lot of trash, and it shows up better. But uh, you count the bean rolls, and you kind of guess at the width of the letter. Most of the letters are. So you don't use a GPS? Did, did I hear that right? You don't use a GPS for this? Because I, I mean. It- the way it lines up, I would have think you'd have to use a GPS to do this. No, no, I do not. I just uh, look across the field and uh, half a mile away, and you just head for that, <laughs> pick out a spot, and, and go for it. When you get at the end of twenty-five bean rows, you stop. It's just so it's just it's just dead reckoning. Yes. 
you are uh, it's it's very neat like this is neater than like my handwriting for somebody who's just out there <laughs> well I, this... I'd have to agree I think I probably do better writing out the field than I do on paper but uh... <laughs> Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. We're talking with uh, Gene Hansen. He farms out by Edgeley, and he likes putting messages out in his field. Um, so, h- how big is this? I-, I think the article I saw it's as big as like two football fields. Yeah, I've done some football field size ones. Uh, the more letters you get, of course, the bigger they are. And this one's approximately two football fields in size. Now, when when you do these, I mean, do you do you know? I mean, how how do they get noticed? I mean, it's I mean, is it people I, flying I, I, over? I'm or? a pretty I'm a pretty big Facebook fan. I put things on Facebook, and uh, things uh, some of it goes viral, and some doesn't. I guess uh, lots of good comments. I would say majority by far is probably uh, good comments, but you get a bad one once in a while. Oh sure, yeah. I trust me. I know a thing or two about bad comments. Um, what uh, I what I now? Do you like have a plane or something that you go up and take a picture of them with when you're done? Yes, yeah, so we have uh, our own home built one that we built. I don't know back in 1994. Uh, one that we uh, did when we were in the kit playing business. We built kits years ago, and we kept one of those. And that's what I have uh, to take most of my photos. Although I do uh, have a drone too that I take some with. Wow! All right. Well. Uh, it's fascinating and it's interesting to, uh, to see how you do it. And I, I'm just amazed that you don't use, that you don't use GPS. Have you ever thought about using GPS? Maybe trying some more complicated designs or? Uh, truthfully, I probably wouldn't know how to run it. <laughs> <laughs> I plan on doing some more, by the way. Yeah. What, what do you got coming up? Can you give us a, uh, a hint? I think you'll just have to wait and see. Just have to wait and see. No spoilers. Yeah. No spoilers. Yeah. All right. Well, Gene, thank you much, and uh, I agree with your message. Uh, thank you for your time today. You bet. Thank you. That's Gene Hansen. He farms near Headley. Uh, I'm just shocked that he doesn't use GPS for this. I, I, yeah, that, I, I, that's what really surprised me because a lot of the like the newer tractors run on GPS. Like you, a lot of them, a lot of them like could drive themselves. Yeah, pretty so. much. I mean, you you still have somebody behind the wheel and everything, but that's, I'm just that's amazed. crazy. I couldn't do something this neat like with my hand. Uh, I just probably on a piece couldn't of paper. either. Even if you gave me graph paper, I don't think I'd be quite that neat. Amazing. All right, well, we're going to take a break. We'll be back. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob. Report on 970 WDAY AM and 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. We were talking with Gene Hansen, and I was calling him a, uh, a farmer from uh, Edgeley, North Dakota, but he called back in on the break, Nathiel, to, to correct the record. Yes, he he's said reti- he's retired. He's retired. Yeah. <laughs> he's retired, and they live out on farmland, so he's not actively farming. So this is probably, I don't know, the coolest retirement hobby you could have. Wait, whose farmland is he plowing up for these messages? Then? Well, they live out on the farmland, so they're all right. They probably own the the land, and you know are not actively farming most of it, renting some of it out, probably. All right. Okay. Well, yeah, that's. Uh, I, I tell you what, I want to hang out with Gene though. Like he built his own plane too to take the pictures. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a drone. I I, I just want to hang out with Gene. We just do cool stuff all day. Fly our drone around. Maybe build an airplane. Well, I write can... something gigantic on the side of the. 
I can probably get you to Edgeley. It's not too far from where I grew up. A couple of emails we've been, uh, and, and by the way, in the next hour, our guest is Aaron Burst. He's with the North Dakota Association of Counties. And uh, the counties in North Dakota are, you know, talking about how they're going to go about implementing North Dakota's new medical marijuana uh, legislation. Uh, Jerry, who emailed earlier in the program, was asking how other states do it. He emails again. So how do other states do it? Honors questions or just blow me off and call me an idiot? Well, Jerry, I didn't call you an idiot. I called the people who organized the medical marijuana ballot measure idiots because although successful in getting their measure passed, created a lot of these headaches by writing it very stupidly. Now, what are other states doing it? That was actually something I'm hoping to find out from Aaron when we have him on. Uh, the, the reason I'm having him on is there was a meeting, a, uh, a conference hosted by the North Dakota Association of Counties, and speaking at it was a, a basically a representative from the state of Washington. Uh, his name is Axel Swanson. He's a research director for the Washington State Association of Counties, uh, and he was talking about basically what they went through with legalizing marijuana and like or like even because obviously i i think the counties are going to have a level of of involvement in administering this law are they going to get revenues from the sale like like in in the state of washington there's an excise tax uh the state collects something like 27 million dollars a month uh in marijuana sales they have 1361 licensed marijuana producers in that state and about 516 retail locations i believe measure five in north dakota allowed for i think it what is it until is it two manufacturing facilities and then i think eight or maybe 10 dispensaries am i is that right i'm not sure what the exact numbers are i i, I think it's pretty close to those if not those those numbers. So obviously, North Dakota a lot. Well, North Dakota is a lot smaller state population wise than Washington anyway. But um, you know that's going to be so. Obviously, we're not going to produce nearly as much tax revenue as the state of Washington does because we're just not going to sell as much marijuana. But I mean, is that revenue going to go to the counties for administering that? I mean, there's a lot of open questions about this yet uh, that need to be answered. We'll talk with Aaron about some of those. Uh, let's see. Don emails. Uh, Hi, Rob. How can the government continue to say that they don't believe there are no that they don't believe there are no medical benefits? I think he used a double negative there, Don. I think what she's trying to say is that how, how can the federal government continue to say they don't believe there are medical benefits to marijuana when they use it used to supply it to our Vietnam vets who are exposed to Agent Orange? Uh, please ask this question. I'm really interested in hearing that debate. I, I don't know what Aaron. I don't know that Aaron has any expertise on. The VA. I, I can tell you, my my father was a Vietnam veteran. I'm not aware that the VA ever used marijuana to treat Vietnam veterans for Agent Orange. That's the first time I've heard that one. I can tell you, the current policy of the VA, and I'm leading reading it directly from the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs website. Um, they uh, they they write, I quote: Several states of the U.S. have approved the use of marijuana, cannabis for medical and or recreational use. Veterans should know that the federal law classifies marijuana, including all derivative products, as a Schedule I controlled substance. This makes it illegal in the eyes of the federal government. Uh, the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs is required to, uh, to follow all federal laws, including those regarding marijuana, as long as the Food and Drug Administration classifies marijuana as Schedule I. VA health care providers may not recommend it or assist veterans to obtain it. So as of now, the VA is not providing anybody with medical marijuana, and they're not even helping them obtain it. Uh, it does say, however, that, that veteran particip participation in state 
medical marijuana program does not affect eligibility for VA care and services. So if you're if it's legal in your state and you're using it through your state, it's not going to impact your VA benefits at all. Uh, the VA just they're not going to like provide you with marijuana or help you buy it or anything like that. Um, so hopefully that answers your question. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. You know, really, I, I think the medical marijuana, this is my, because we have a, there's a, there's a commission, uh, of the legislature that's taking a look at the initiated measure process. And they are looking at potential changes to that process. And I think the medical marijuana situation is, is exemplary of, of why we maybe need some changes. Because we sometimes, you know, whether it's medical marijuana, whether it's Marzi's laws, whether it's, some of the other recent ballot measures we could mention. The problem is, is we put very, very complicated pieces of policy on the ballot. And what voters end up voting for, right, what most of them consider in their minds is not the minutia of the policy at hand, right? I mean, I, I doubt very few of the voters read through the policy and considered, like, all the finer points of, like, dozens of pages of policy changes, of amendments to the Constitution in the case of Marzi's Law or the statute in the case of medical marijuana. So what what they end up doing, I think, is just voting on a broad concept. With Marzi's Law, it's like, do you believe in the idea that victims have rights? Most North Dakotans said yes. With medical marijuana, it was, do you think medical marijuana should be legal in North Dakota? Most, again, most voters said yes. Now, that's fine, but what doesn't get considered is, the minutia of how that policy actually gets applied, because there's all sorts of questions that are all over the place when it comes to, to, to where the rubber meets the road and actually implementing this, pol- this policy, which is why I think instead of doing ballot measures where we put the actual policy on the ballot, I think we ought to just do broad questions, just put a big question on, top-level question on the ballot, do you think marijuana should be legal, yes or no? If the majority of voters say yes, then the legislature comes into session with a mandate to pass some sort of policy lining up with the voters' wishes. I think that's a better way to do it than what we're doing now. Caller, Scott, you're up. What's going on? Hey, Rob. Uh, See, I've been struggling with this whole marijuana thing for years as far as legal or illegal. Why do you think it should be legalized? Because you can already buy it everywhere. We're not stopping it. We're spending all sorts of law enforcement resources thinking we're stopping this and we're not stopping it. It's everywhere. That's pretty much the only reason. Well, that, and I think marijuana is pretty benign. You know, I mean, we let people drink wine and beer and whiskey and everything. Um, I don't know that people can necessarily be any more irresponsible with marijuana than they could be with beer. Um, you know, and I, I say that, so I draw a distinction between like marijuana and say meth. I, I think it's possible to use marijuana recreationally and responsibly and, and be just fine. I don't think you can do that with, like, meth or heroin. I, I think those drugs, you know, for me, cross the threshold into, like, there, there's really no responsible way to use these things. Therefore, legalizing them is, is not really going to be of any benefit. Yeah, and I, I kind of I, I do agree with you. Uh, you know, here's the deal. There's going to be, like, a, a social or business cost when you, I think you put it out in the market, free marketplace. Um, you know, I'm just thinking like truck drivers and, you know, people that are on the road and cause it's a mind altering thing like alcohol, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're stoned, you shouldn't be driving any more than if you're drunk. It stays in your system longer, right? Uh, 
it could be. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not really an expert on all that kind of stuff. Like, I don't know how long it takes you to no longer be inebriated with marijuana as opposed to, say, beer. I, I, I honestly don't know. And, uh, and so uh, there is a public safety thing there that I struggle with. But, uh, but inebriated, uh, I mean, it's already illegal to, to drive inebriated. I mean, whether it's it's pot or alcohol or whatever. And, and here's the thing. The people that want to, oh, there's all sorts of people using pot already. Every, you know, people smoke it up all the time, regularly, in all of our communities. And I, I just don't know if, if we bring it out, if we bring it out into the light of day, I, I think, okay, maybe more people use it and maybe there's more reckless use. But on the flip side, we also take it away as a revenue source from the criminals who operate in the black market. A lot of times these are gangs, these are violent gangs, these are not good people. If we can deny them revenue and instead direct it towards law-abiding entrepreneurs... I think that's a net win for us. But we're going to talk with Aaron Burst. He's from the North Dakota Association of Counties about the local implementation of medicinal marijuana and what it means. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. This is the Rob Report on 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report, Hour 2, right here on 970 WDY AM, 93.1 FM. You know, we've been kind of talking about this the whole show so far. I, I introduced our uh, our guest, Aaron Burst from the North Dakota Association of Counties, pointing out that our, our, our local governments are, you know, I mean, they're starting the work of figuring out how they're going to go about implementing North Dakota's new medical marijuana policy, even as the Department of Health you know, works through their their process of, of creating, um, you know, administrative rules and having a, a, a process in place to, to track the production of marijuana in our state and the sale of marijuana in our state because agree with medical marijuana or not, it's the law now, and someone's got to make sure the law is being followed. That falls to the Department of Health. They're doing that. But there's also implications for the local level as well. And, uh, Aaron, I understand. First of all, welcome to the program. Thank you for your hey, time. Thanks to be and here. I understand. Nice to be here, Rob. Yeah, and I understand your organization just had uh, a meeting at their annual conference in Bismarck concerning this topic. I, first of all, just give us generally, what are some of the concerns of the counties as as this this law becomes well the law of the land for our state? Yeah, well, I guess the the big we just had a big event, and it was probably the most attended uh, workshop block in terms of the medical marijuana. Uh, some of the big concerns are the zoning, uh, where exactly these things should be placed. Uh, and then, of course, tax revenue and how that all will be affected and how you assess those kind of properties. But those would be the two biggest things, the zoning and the assessment process. Well, it, I understand um, one county in our state, is it McKenzie County, has, has already created zoning re- regarding this? Yeah, McKenzie County was pretty uh, proactive, and they have a very good planner up there and started to change some of their zoning ordinances uh, to fit in this kind of category, uh, which obviously we haven't seen before. Well, what sort of zoning are they looking at? I mean, they're talking about it's got to be a certain distance from a school or from a park, things like that? Well, right, yeah. So the law is specific, what the legislature passed, in terms of it can't be uh, close to schools. Uh, but then there's other considerations that the counties are looking at as uh, should it be in an industrial area or would it be, you know, obviously you probably don't want to put one of these uh, places in a residential uh, development. So 
you know, it's kind of things like that we're trying to work through. Is it a commercial site? Is it more agriculture uh, site? And those are the kind of things that uh, we're discussing this week. 701-293-9000, you have comments or questions, 888-970-9329, email talk at WDAY.com. I mean, is there any sort of a consensus, and, and obviously we're talking about counties, and the counties have autonomy on, on setting some of this policy, but, I mean, is there a consensus forming about how, when it comes time with it, that, that some of these facilities are going to start opening, how they're going to be treated? Uh, I think we're getting there. I mean, this was really the first step to trying to talk through with everybody on what they want to do. I think it's pretty clear that when you're talking in the manufacturing side, that will probably be in the county, and the distribution centers, or what they call the compassionate care centers, will probably be more urban-based. So the cities have to be involved on the zoning, too. And so we've reached out to them, and we're kind of working through uh, uh, those kind of issues. But there's going to be two manufacturing centers, and then there'll be eight distribution centers. And so kind of where they should be placed is is really, I mean, we're getting there. Well, you you had uh, at, at the meeting Axel Swanson, research director for the Washington State Association of Counties. Now, obviously, the state of Washington uh, has had their own form of legalization for, for some time now. Um what sort of challenges was he talking about? I mean, did he have any warnings for North Dakota, you know, things to look out for, pitfalls? Well, I would say generally the, the biggest concern he had is that uh, it is a local tax burden problem uh, because ultimately the locals are going to be the ones uh, having to check up to make sure that the, the process is being followed. Uh, so his suggestion was to make sure that the locals get a share of the revenue that comes in from that uh, to help offset some of those costs and to make sure those uh, folks are, um, you know, I guess paying their fair share to the local side too. That that was his biggest concern. Uh, they they've got a much more uh, liberal uh, law in terms of it's it's much more accessible out there, obviously. Uh, so they they had a lot of other things on the recreational side, uh, but we're, North Dakota hasn't adopted that yet. We have a caller on the line, Tom. Go ahead, Tom. What's up? Yeah. Um... Jeff Sessions, he's, uh, you know, the attorney general for Donald Trump who selected him. He uh, he uh, decided he don't want to see any kind of marijuana legalization in this country. Neither does Donald Trump. Republicans in this state certainly don't want to see anything like this implemented. They're going to drag their feet on it all the way. The only way you're ever going to see this is you get all these Republicans out of office. That's the only way it's ever well. going to happen. Tom, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, Tom, thank, thanks for the call. I'll, I'll tell you what, I think it'll be a lot easier for states like North Dakota to implement this policy independent of the federal government if you liberals would get on board with federalism every once in a while, but that's to the side. I, I guess I guess to, to, to find, Aaron, a, a part of that comment for, for you is a few people, since I started talking about this, have said that you know the counties talking about this is, is an example of them dragging their feet because they don't really want to implement it. What's your response to that? Are the counties dragging their feet? I mean, are, are they enthusiastic about implementing this law? Uh, just to, to address some of Tom's concern, it, it is interesting an argument because on the federal side, the marijuana is still illegal. Right. Uh, but the states are overwhelmingly passing medical marijuana and in some places recreational. It, it is tough. Oh, and one more thing on the Republican thing. Uh, the voters passed it, but uh, the Republican legislature uh, implemented the strategy. So they, well, what, they what the voters passed wouldn't, pass wouldn't, wasn't even workable. I mean, what the voters passed didn't even decriminalize medical marijuana. So uh, correct. So there needed to be a lot of work done. And, and the Republican legislature with the Democrats uh, was pretty universal uh, in supporting uh, what the voters decided. So now it just is yeah. workable. So, uh, But is is 
are we dragging our feet? No, not at all. It just takes a long time to implement a new strategy, uh, especially when you're looking at the federal rules, too. Um, so it, it just takes a little bit of time. Because there are, there are a lot of things to consider, and this is something that I hadn't. This was something from the article that I, I hadn't even dawned on me, but the question of whether or not government employees, both state employees and, and I guess, county employees and, and even municipal, anybody who works for the government in North Dakota, whether or not their use of medical marijuana might run contrary to their employment as a public servant because, again, the federal government, under the Controlled Substances Act, sees marijuana as a as a what do they call it uh, a level one or a yep, schedule, schedule one, one yep. schedule one um drug so it's it's illegal as in there's no legitimate use for it at all and and basically if if, if you're is it is it because the state obviously gets all sorts of federal money in all sorts of different ways and the federal government is basically saying well if you take our money you're you know you got to have a zero tolerance policy for your employees am i saying that right i mean how how are, are county-level employees and even municipal employees, if, if the county or the city is getting federal money, those employees are going to have a zero-tolerance policy, even even for legal medical marijuana for the rest of us? Yeah, yeah. Now, that is even more complicated of an issue. Just rolling this out is going to be child's play compared to the policies on whether or not somebody will be allowed to uh, smoke marijuana or use marijuana and whether that violates any employer agreement. Um we're working on that, but really the, the biggest focus right now is just to roll out the process so people can get their medical marijuana. Um, but in terms of uh, on the government side, you're right. How do you really regulate that? Obviously, you can't be impaired at work, but is simply uh, uh, being uh, licensed to be medical marijuana, using medical marijuana, is that uh, a fireable offense? And that we have not reached conclusion on. Well, that's, I mean, it's interesting because you're right. I mean, being inebriated, it works not acceptable regardless of why you're inebriated. But, I mean, if you're using medical marijuana on vacation and then you come back and there's still traces in your system but you're not actively stoned, um, I I guess that's the question. And there's just not a good answer for it at this point? I mean, is this, I mean, what, is there a process in place to, to answer that question and establish a policy? You know, in places where the courts have looked at this, they've generally supported the employer to make their own rules. Uh, but I would guess, uh, you know, with medical marijuana especially becoming more prevalent, you might see a bit of a different shift there as long as you can say you weren't impaired. Uh, and again, it, impairment under marijuana is much different than alcohol. Alcohol burns through pretty quick. Uh, you know, marijuana, you could still test positive and not be impaired. So I think that's what the employers are really going to have to struggle with. Uh, how to measure that. 701-293-9000, email talk at wday.com. I'm reading here from the uh, uh, Bismarck Tribune article about the meeting. Uh, it says, I quote, Burst has received inquiries from North Dakota counties on whether they can ban marijuana businesses in their towns. Uh, Burst has responded that it's an open question. Um, I mean, is is that going to be possible that, that a county could say, I, I guess, pass an ordinance or pass zoning or something to, to effectively ban medical marijuana from their locality? Uh, well, I have got that question. And again, I, I can't provide legal advice. The, only the state's sure. attorney for that county can. But uh, generally, zoning laws are upheld unless they're, they're arbitrary and capricious. If there's no reason for why you banned it, which is an otherwise legal uh, business, those generally aren't supported by the court. So I guess generally, in my opinion, I would say you can't just have an outright ban unless you, ha- unless you have some 
a significant reason for it. And so, again, most of the counties are already trying to implement strategy in terms of location and size and scope, uh, but not outright ban. Got a caller. Mike, go ahead, Mike. You know, I look at the, the marijuana thing and everybody's just legalizing it and stuff. <clears throat> Do we know, is it going to be the same dramatic uh, and dramatic issues in family life like alcohol is? It's accepted. We pay billions of dollars for people to try and get cleaned up or, or uh, you know, help families where there's alcoholism involved. And, you know, it, it, it just seems like these issues blow up into huge uh, family issues when we got when we got uh, alcohol or you know now marijuana and and then you know I still think that marijuana is somewhat of a gateway drug to other drugs. Well, Aaron, well, I, I don't I don't know to what degree Aaron's going to want to weigh in on this, Mike. Thanks for the call. I, I, will, I will make two points. First of all, your your argument is supposing that our current marijuana prohibition is stopping people from using marijuana, and I just I, I don't. I, as a practical reality, I just don't know that that's really the case. Uh, maybe some people are, are afraid to use marijuana because it's illegal, but for the most part, just about any community in our state, if you want pot, you can find somebody to sell you pot. Uh, that's just reality. Um, the the other part of the question, you know, whether or not marijuana is a gateway drug and, and people could move on to other drugs, I would argue ar- alcohol is probably the same way. Alcohol is legal. Um, you know, I mean, the problem is we got to find a balance. I mean, would it be nice if nobody – I mean, there, there are there – are, deleterious side effects for alcohol consumption and and marijuana use because some people do abuse these drugs and some people behave irresponsibly with them and that's a problem but does does prohibition work as a way to prevent that it certainly didn't work with uh with alcohol aaron did you have anything you wanted to comment on that i guess he had more of just a general question about yeah i I guess that that comment is above my pay grade uh sure (laughs) what 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 i can say is the people of the state voted it in and that's every democratic right to do uh so now we're focused on implementing that got another caller bill go ahead yeah i was on uh, oxycodone for over four years through the va and that's a slow death sentence. you got to take a little more, a little more, a little more. Pretty soon they want to put you on yeah. something more powerful. And and they they prescribe all kinds of class one uh, licensed uh, drugs. Uh, you know, marijuana is just a, it, it, it shouldn't even be a class one. It should be more of a recreational one. But Well, you don't. Bill, Bill, thanks for the call. If I had my way, I would just out fully, you know, just. If you want pot, you can buy pot. I, I I don't I don't know that we're helping ourselves, even even to the point where we're legalizing it, but we're putting in place all these bureaucratic controls or anything. I guess if I had my way, I'd just let it buck. But um, that's me. Who nobody listens to me. Aaron, uh, anything else to add before we end this interview? Well, I'm listening to you. So uh, all no, right. I, if there's any uh, questions, uh, the Association of Counties is here to try to answer those. So if uh, you know. Political subdivisions are working through this. Uh, we're here to help. So, All right. Well, thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you, Rob. Talk to you later. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away.
Welcome back, Rob Report on 970 WDAY-AM, 93.1 FM. Email talk at WDAY.com. We've been talking about the uh, the medical marijuana issue, and uh, we just talked with Aaron Burst from the North Dakota Association of Counties. And I, I don't know, my impression from that interview, um, Natil, is that they are just they're just trying to, to go through and, and understand you know, in, in terms of the, I mean, it's, it's a complicated area of policy because of the sort of gray area, even though the, even though North Dakota voters, you know, made this law and then the legislature went even further and, and modified it and made, I mean, this is, this now has a mandate, not only from the electorate, but from the legislature to be the law. But even given that case, because of the federal government, I mean, that's a complicating factor. So implementing this is tricky. And I don't know. I get the sense from that interview that that they're just everybody's trying to make a good faith effort to do the right thing. It just it takes time. It takes time to figure out what these policies are going to be. This is a this is a major shift in policy in North Dakota. Uh, let's see. Email Joe uh, Joe in Fargo. Um, I find the reluctance of federal government keeping marijuana a level one illegal drug to be ironic when the FDA has approved the use of MDMA for PTSD. Basically, uh, once the pharmaceutical industry developers uh, develops a marijuana pill uh, to be just prescribed like MDMA, will the federal government make it legal to buy from a pharmacy? Um, you know, I, I don't know what the answer is to that. Um, I did see that MDMA was, was I, I guess, basically approved by the FDA to, uh, to be treated, uh, to, to treat PTSD. I mean, here, here's the thing with medical marijuana. I mean, I see a lot of wild claims about what medical marijuana can accomplish. I don't know if I believe them all, but generally speaking, if something like marijuana makes a person like if it makes them feel better, somebody with cancer or some other pain or whatever, if they say it makes them feel better, right, who am I to disagree? Right, who am I to say, well, no, it doesn't. So I don't know. But then again, I just full on legalize it. So caller, Art, you're up. When's this marijuana going to be available? They seem like they're dragging their feet out there in Bismarck a lot. Yeah, no, well, no, I don't think they're dragging their feet. Uh, Next year, I get is what I'm what I'm understanding from the department, North Dakota Department of Health. Uh, By next year, um, the law allows for two. Yeah, well, you know, Art, it takes time. I mean, what what was voted on last year didn't actually decriminalize medical marijuana. The legislature had to go through and fix it. Uh, and now, now that it's even now that it's become law, the Department of Health has to um, have, they have to hire people to implement the policy. They have to develop administrative policies for, for, for just the practical reality of how they're going to govern the two uh, manufacturing centers plus the eight dispensaries that the law allows. The local governments have to figure out how they're going to zone these things, where are they going to allow them, how are the locals going to go about enforcing the law. All of that takes time, Art. It doesn't just turn on a dime. Well, I put a little more speed on it. Well, well, when you're on the phone, you got spasms every night and you can't sleep. You know, and then well, I'm I'm with you, Art. If I had my way, if I had my way, I would just uh, you know, I would just legalize all of it, and we wouldn't do any of this. But I don't know. I mean, the even the ballot measure was hugely complicated. It just takes time to implement. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. 701-293-9000, 888 email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away.
Welcome back, Rob Report, 970 WDAY AM and 93.1 FM. If you want to join the program at any time, call 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Nateel, let's do some news. All right. I still need a good opening song for this. If you've got any, like, news-themed songs that would be awesome, you should send them to me. I have an idea. I'll send it after the show. Sweet. All right, so starting off, uh, with all of this... NFL stuff happening in the news. Uh, One story that seems to have been flying under the radar. Miami Dolphins coach busted for snorting cocaine in his office. I saw this. The video is... uh... There's literally video of him doing it. Yeah. And he has now apparently resigned. And and he was was like going to go into... uh, He was was doing it before he was going to go into a meeting. Like he was snorting coke. uh, uh, Allegedly... In like uh in like snorting what appears to be coke allegedly in like some office, uh before he goes into a meeting, which, and was talking to apparently uh a a lady who, he been I is he married I I mean was he having an affair with this woman I, I don't I don't know what his relationship with the woman was yeah. she was a model I don't know if maybe. Uh, she was like a prospect to join the cheerleading squad because the Miami, the Miami Dolphins have a pretty big cheerleading squad. Oh, that's true. So yeah. there, there were a lot of things that that could have been. But my understanding, I for from my understanding of the story, she released it because she was upset with his position on like the national anthem protests or something. Yeah, she says that it, the the title of the article includes something about her getting revenge on him for his stance on the national anthem protest. But one way or the other, he was doing coke in his office. Yeah, not a smart thing in front of somebody no. else at that. And taking video of himself doing it. And, and apparently sending the video to somebody over the internet. Like dumb. You know what? You know what you don't put on the internet is anything you don't want your mother to see you doing. That's Yeah, but you know what cocaine probably makes you stop thinking about? What your mother probably doesn't want you to do. <laughs> yeah, that's I guess that's a good point. <laughs> All right. All right, next. Stick it in the sports theme. I know McFeely talked about this plenty on his show, but I wanted to get your take on it as well. ESPN has suspended an anchor for breaking social media rules. Yeah. Um, I, I think I think ESPN's got a problem overall in that they have become so it's it's hard to watch. And I, I watch it, you know, I like baseball and everything, and there's just I I don't know if it's just ESPN shifting because like, what they used to do was highlights, right? I mean, I remember when I wanted to watch, like, baseball highlights or whatever, I had to wait for SportsCenter to come on and watch them because you couldn't really – I mean, though we had internet at the time, we were on, like, dial-up modems. You weren't downloading yeah. video and watching highlights, even if it was available. So, But now it is. I mean, like, almost in real time. Like, I have the MLB app, so I watch a lot of the – you know, I watch a lot of the game recaps on, like, YouTube and stuff. I don't really need SportsCenter or anything like that. So I think – Having been robbed of what was their primary content driver, uh, they've turned to other things. And politics are low-hanging fruit. If you want to get people whipped up and engaged, uh, you go politics. Um, And I guess that's what they're doing. I find it distracting because I don't watch sports. I do politics for a living. So when I'm watching sports, it's like I don't. Well, but it's it's I'm hard not that for, interested. It's hard for ESPN to not talk about this particular thing because it has become so intrinsically linked with sports and not just any sport, but the current sport of the season. So I think so ESPN's here, here, big problem is that they can't quite decide what they actually want to be. If what they want to be 
is more sports commentary, then they have to let their commentators commentate. Yeah, but the, I think the problem here, though, is what she is doing is she was suggesting on Twitter that fans, because it was, it was she was commenting on the Jerry Jones thing, right, where he's yes. saying the Cowboys if, the, if, coach. His, if his players kneel, they're not going to play, mm-hmm. right? He's the Cowboys owner. Owner, right? yes, not coach, yeah. owner. Yeah, okay, so so she's commenting on that. And so she's suggesting basically that people should like boycott the team's advertisers and not buy the team's merchandise. Well, that becomes kind of problematic because ESPN relies on the relationship with the NFL and teams like the Dallas Cowboys to to make their living, right? I mean, it's it's their access to that content to to their essentially the product that the NFL is producing that ESPN makes money on. So what she's doing is she is essentially attacking the revenue of – I mean, she's basically indirectly attacking ESPN's own revenue source, right? If you're going to – that's a real stretch. I don't think it's a stretch. I think it is because what she did was point out her personal beliefs on one team owner's position and suggested a way for fans who, if they are upset – about that position that's called a boycott well yeah but she was she wasn't advocating that anybody boycott the entire nfl the nfl games or uh, no, even just necessarily just watching. one just just one of the nfl's premier french franchises uh, you know I, I mean listen you can't when you're in that position you can't just start going off and attack i mean at the end of the day espn is a business at the end of the day this radio station is a business Right, and if we're if we're out attacking where the money comes from, we're probably not going to last very long, and that's a business decision because ESPN's not going to stay on air very long if they're letting their talent go out there and attack their revenue supplies. I guess I think that's just reality. Yeah, but I guess I don't I don't see similar things happening to someone who was maybe sticking up for the the Cowboys owner. I wouldn't see similar. Well, if 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 somebody was sticky, well, how about how about if if that person was attacking, if that person who's sticking up for Jerry Jones then turned around and, and attacked the 49ers and said, "Don't buy any 49ers jerseys, or don't buy tickets to the game, or turn your backs on them, or whatever." I, I would hope that ESPN would treat them the same way. Now, if ESPN doesn't, well, then shame on ESPN. But just, I, I don't know that that's happened. And, I mean, I don't know that exactly, there's another situation. And that's, and that's where my interest lies: is if if that if the same thing would have been levied against an opposite position. I'm not saying yeah. it wouldn't be, but I'd be interested to know, you know, what... If, if, yeah, if ESPN starts treating their employees differently based on their stance, then, okay, fine. But, you know, the other side of the coin is, uh, just just based on what actually happened, which is that this lady, who I have honestly have never heard of before in my life because I don't watch ESPN, J- Jamel Hill? Jamil. Jamil? Jamil Hill, okay. Um... Just just based on what happened to her and not being aware of any other situation where ESPN has been inconsistent, I think what they did is appropriate. She got a two-week suspension. That seems appropriate to me. All right, all right. got to move on off, off of sports. We're going to move into technology. Will right. automation put an end to the American trucker? This is really interesting. It really, I really love, is. I love this. I love the fact that in the North Dakota legislature, we've, at, like, we've actually been tackling automated vehicles in the legislature. Like That's how close we are to this future being a reality, is that our lawmakers are starting to say, listen, this technology's coming. We better start passing laws about how we're gonna how we're gonna deal with this stuff on our roads. Um but uh, but it is interesting in that probably one of the big areas where automation is is gonna be 
it's it's not going to be a consumer level technology at first. I think I think it's going to be a commer- a commercial thing at first. Well, absolutely, and probably the place you're going to see it is like long haul truckers. Yeah, because we already see it on big farms. Right. Most of those tractors and combines and things like that have some level of automation. That, that's actually really interesting. Like that, that's actually where a lot of the big advancements and automated have come is because it's a lot easier for like John Deere and and some of these other farm implement manufacturers to implement self-driving because they're not on like public roads. Exactly. Like those operate on. Yeah, they don't have to worry property. about another driver. Right. You're out in a field. That's a much different situation than on like a highway. But um, yeah, so I, I guess what's coming is that a lot of the long haul truckers in that long haul trucks are going to be um, automated. And that seems like a very easy implementation because although the one the ones that I saw, the early ones were saying that like, you know, you would still have a driver that would navigate the truck out onto the highway. But then once on the highway, then everything's automated. Yeah, it would be like a co-pilot sort of situation. In which case, I guess you still got to pay somebody to be in there, though. So, yeah, just probably not quite as much because the you know once out on the highway, the trucker could sleep. Or... Well, I, I, yeah, I, I suppose a lot of the the rules about logging and stuff. If you have an automated driver, you don't have to worry so much about driver fatigue and things like that. Yeah. So one driver could probably book more miles, and so you're going to have fewer drivers overall. I don't know. It's an interesting thing. People are always worried about this, right? Because that's the big thing is that. Um, Truck driver is a really, I mean, there's millions of them in the United States. And, uh, you know, just about all of the products you buy in the store at any given time arrive there on a truck. And so I think a lot of people get worried about this, like, well, what are all these truckers going to do because it's being disrupted? And I can tell you, like, that actually, that is an argument that goes back a long, long way. I mean, we've always been concerned about automation and its impact on workers. As a matter of fact, Nathiel, have you heard the term uh, Luddite? Yes, we call sir. somebody a Luddite. You know where that term comes from? I don't know the etymologies very well. It was a labor movement at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. Uh, Ned Ludd was, and I don't know if he was a real figure or just sort of a mythical figure, but he supposedly like damaged like a like a an automated like a steam powered loom. Like he went in and and damaged it, and did so because it was putting workers putting weavers out of work. And so now, like, it was it was a labor movement. Like, it was an anti-technology labor movement because they felt technology was displacing workers. And that was centuries ago. Yeah. So I think sometimes these concerns we get, the technology is going to displace workers. I think that certainly happens in the short term. Like, if you're a truck driver now, yeah, you might lose your job. And if you're not prepared to, to, to go into another field or something, you could be in trouble you got to be pretty nimble in our modern economy. But generally speaking, in the aggregate, in the long haul, I don't think this is too much to be afraid of. Well, then the, you must sort of not automation. be one of the 70% of U.S. citizens in a new recent survey that are apparently afraid of robots taking over our lives. Well, that's probably because we get scary media articles all the time <laughs> about how robots are taking over our lives. And we have we have entire, <laughs> like, shelves full of genre vic, you know, fiction about robots who turn evil Skynet and Terminators and everything else. Um, that goes all the way back to, like, iRobot. Right. So I don't I don't know. I, I think I think sometimes people are people are always afraid of things that are new. Um, and, you know. We somehow managed to continue to survive anyway. Right. I, we're going to be fine. Let's do a couple of real quick oddball ones before we have to take a break here. Uh, new concerns about where head lice is coming from this season. It's Halloween costumes. Halloween oh, yeah. costumes could be giving news. you head lice. 
breaking news. I, I, honestly, I don't know. I'd never considered it before. Because you go into like store. You like go into the store stores, and you're trying and, on all the funny hats and wigs and everything. Well, but you go into like clothing stores and try on, you know, clothes and things like that all the time. So when you go into a Halloween costume store. Yeah, they're trying store, on underwear and stuff. Well, I'm not I'm not trying on any, under, on any underwear. Oh. That's gross. But Whoops. <laughs> but, you know, that's it surprised me to realize that this is actually a problem. Yeah, I Well, first of all, I don't actually try on underwear in the store. I just buy them and then <laughs> Good, good, good to know. I try them on at home. Uh second of all, I I don't put this is actually a very specific reason why I don't put on like wigs and stuff at the store because uh, I'm afraid of this. And I, uh, we had a head lice outbreak in my school in Alaska one time. Um, you know, you imagine a lot, like everybody's wearing the stocky caps in the summer. So I don't know. Oh, I, yeah. I have like, like a, I, I have like a paranoia about lice. How common is our lice outbreaks anymore? We should get somebody from the Department of Health on. How common is this anymore? Um, yeah, I guess I'm not sure. I got, I got lice when I was a kid. We had a lice outbreak in my school when I was really yeah. young. I think I was either kindergarten or first grade. It was pretty traumatic. I feel like I don't hear about it very often. Like, my kids, one time, I think, at their daycare, there was, like, a lice outbreak. One time in the 16 years that I've had kids. Wow. All right. Well, so I'm, I don't know. I'm making these, the executive decision to push the last one into tomorrow. All right. Sounds good. Uh, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be back. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report, 970 WDAY AM, 93.1 FM. Have you been following this Harvey Weinstein story, Natil? A little bit. It's pretty, oh. pretty. There's a, there's, a new, there's a new report out from the New Yorker about it. Uh-oh. Like, the New York Times story was, was scandalous enough. enough. Uh, the New Yorker story, I mean, there's, there are three women on the record just outright accusing him of rape. Um. On the record, like under their name, Amir, Mira Sorvino, Asia Argento. I mean, these are um, wow. I mean, I, I'm I'm about halfway through it, and uh, it's it's just it's just disgusting. And there's actually, I mean, here's the thing because, like Harvey Weinstein is is just was just a huge name, both in obviously in the entertainment industry, but also in politics. And it's it's to the point where Asia Argento like actually put in one of her movies like uh, the Scarlet Diva, which was out in two thousand. She put she put a a representation of her rape by Weinstein in the movie, and obviously didn't allude you know say that that was Weinstein or anything. But other people recognized his behavior and apparently like went up to her and like recognized that's Harvey Weinstein, isn't it? That you were portraying in the movie. That's how widespread it was, and nobody in Hollywood speaking out against this guy. It's just, I, the whole thing makes me want to puke. Uh, caller, Don, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I have to say, and it hurts, I have to agree with you on the ESPN thing. Uh, it'd be the same thing as you guys saying, don't buy, don't advertise in our radio station, advertise in somebody else's. It, you know, it's just like yeah. cutting your own wages. And, it, you know, I could see where an employer would say, no, you can't do that because they do draw the revenue off the sport. If, yeah, I mean, if they don't stand up for their revenue, and it's not like it's not like they're getting. I mean, 
the Cowboys are a bitty, pretty big part of NFL football, and NFL football oh, yeah. is pretty big part of ESPN's business model. And so if you're yeah, out there, the if, if you start down, going down the down. road of saying, yeah, so if you start going down the road of saying, well, uh, you know, don't buy Cowboys jerseys or don't go to Cowboys games, I mean, ESPN does not want to open that can of worms. So, yeah, they came nope. down on her, two-week suspension. I think it's appropriate. And hey, the headlights are because they're uh, getting resistant to the chemicals. They are. Are they making a big oh, comeback? Super, yeah, they're, super lights are scary. Yeah. Super with super lights is a thing. Well, they the old the old medicine doesn't kill them. They got to use stronger medicine <sighs> now. So now, what do you got to do? Yeah, like flamethrower your head or what? Well, as a matter of fact, in Sioux Falls, they ha- they have a heat heat treatment that they use. It's sort of like a Vacuum, reverse vacuum, blows heat. It's hot enough to kill the lice, and it blows the heat and sucks them out. I don't know. It's creepy. What? Uh, <laughs> what, what about the, the thing I always see, like in um, on television, right? When when you inevitably have the episode about the lice outbreak, is like tomato soup. Does that still work? I think you're thinking skunks. Does that does that work? What is it? Something if they put something on their head, like tomato soup or something on their head, and it supposedly drowns the ticks. Well. We did mayonnaise on our maybe kids. Maybe that's maybe that's like young, an old wife's tale. Maybe it, that doesn't know, work. kind of suffocated <laughs> them. But what did you do? Uh, covered their head with mayonnaise and then put a shower cap. Mayonnaise, on them. yeah. And it kind of suffocated them. Or peanut butter. Peanut butter is the other one I've always heard. Uh-huh. So we have peanut butter uh-huh. resistant lights now. <laughs> yeah. All right. Have a good day. Uh, all right, Don. Thanks for the call. Just use the medicated shampoos like you're supposed to. The ones that are prescribed now. Super lice. Boy, that'll give you nightmares. They're coming for you. Jay Thomas Show coming up next. 701-293-9000-8889. Well, you can call his show. I don't know why I'm reading the numbers. My show's over. You can always catch me here 12 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday for 24 hours a day, seven days a week at sayanythingblog.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.